Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be exceedingly glad. My eyes, which come with my head, what's coming from the Lord, great God Almighty, that'll never fail. Can't help but tell what He's done for me. I lift my soul, gave the victory, set my footsteps to walk and ride. Gave me eyes to see the light. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let the earth be glad, let the hills be bright, let the sea roll by. Let the earth, uh, let the sea, let the wind, uh, let the rain, let the sun, uh, let the moon, uh, let the young, and let the old, let the church, let the church, let the church, let the church, the Coolidge, Arizona. We are pleased to be with you this morning on June the 13th, 2021. We are continuing our studies in the Gospel of John as it concerns the Messiah of God, which is the topic, of course, in the Gospel and, of course, is our topic also. Um, we just like to welcome everyone listening today, those that are with us uh, here uh, present and those that are with us live online or if you're studying later, we do welcome you to this study. And we appreciate your, uh, your comments, your support, and all that you bring to us. Now, today uh, we're starting a new chapter. Uh, chapter 13, um, and we can actually uh, date uh, this um, particular chapter almost verse by verse. Uh, as I was going over my timeline that is is now online, I believe it's been uploaded. Um, it's just a brief timeline with seven points, uh, maybe eight if you consider the last comment. <clears throat> and I spent a lot of time this week going over that that dating, and I think I may have made a small mistake. I think I was <clears throat> on point number six, <clears throat> AD 31, excuse me for the cough there. Uh, Thursday, March the 28th. In, in our terminology, AD 31, the Messiah was crucified. So, uh, and this is all going back, and this, of course, fits with the, uh, uh, the visit um, and the uh, chapter, uh, chapter 12, the way it starts. 
So, the date of this first verse, verse 1, because of what it says, um, it makes it very clear in verse 1. And before the feast of the Passover, you get the word before, it doesn't say how long before, but it, it rather gets to it, in, not in this, in John as much, but in the other Gospels. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he may be removed out of this world uh, unto the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, to the end he loved them. Okay, and the very next verse takes us to the, the next date, which would be the 28th. Now remember, um, from in our time, you know, we we have a, uh, we don't begin a new day at 6 p.m. or 6:01 in the afternoon, but that's what the Jews did. So, uh, if it was March the 27th, late in the day, by 6 p.m. that afternoon, it would become the next day, 6:01 in, in our way of telling time, uh, AD 31. Uh, would have began the Passover of the Jews, which was in the middle of the week in this particular year. All of these things fit together to give us a perfect timetable. Uh, so uh, that's why we move from uh, the 27th to the 28th in verse 2. Now, I, I think that's, uh, I don't know, I, I guess it, it can be confusing, but what keeps tripping me up is the realization of the new day beginning at 6.01 in the afternoon. Now, in Arizona, you know, it doesn't even get dark till about 9.30 or 10. So we're not even, we're not in that mode at all. You know, we'd like a little night before the new day. Well, that's not how it works. You remember, uh, time began and, and was started, if we're talking about being counted, with the evening, all right? So none of that fits with our particular thinking. Uh, so these things are a little more difficult. And believe me, I think we've done a better job here. Uh, there are a number of people that have worked this out and have come to a real good, uh, real good place. Uh, not, maybe not a definite spot. I'm picking a spot here uh, of uh, March the 28th, uh, AD 31 for the crucifixion because it works out very well. There are some that say it was uh, AD 30 and sometime in April, but the same issue with the Passover being the meal. So I want to point that out um, because in, in uh, John 13, 2 and following, the day is March 28, AD 31, the day of the Last Supper, as we call it, and the same day as the crucifixion of our Lord. Uh, because it, we're talking about, in our thinking, it would be the day before, but it truly was the new day when they sat down. And there's some evidence to that in the other Gospels um, about the fact that uh, normally the Jews would eat before what they call the sunset, their evening meal. But on the day it was the Passover, they waited until after the day began because that was the Passover. That would have been, they did everything very, very, uh, uh, thinking very much of the timetable. It's very important because of the idea of the Pass, uh, Passover lamb being slain and, and the period of time that needed to follow before the meal so that's where we're at. I thought that was interesting that we'd have two different days in our thinking in verse 1 and verse 2. And yet, the, the time is very close. As I said, uh, uh, all of the rest of this whole gospel is, is going to fall uh, within a, basically a two-month period, less than two months uh, than what we have here. So I want to share that with you. Now, as I said before, this account that we're going to be dealing with in John 13, 
is also recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There are the sections uh, concerning what's known as the Last Supper or um, the, uh, day of, uh, the Day of Preparation. Uh, some of the chapters start, of course, that being just before the Passover, as, uh, as this uh, Gospel account says, just before the Passover. So all four Gospels make this uh, a very detailed time leading up to the crucifixion. Of course, I think we can understand why uh, they were all so uh, very careful in this timetable. Uh, and John, we're going to find that John, uh, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who pretty much go from the uh, Last Supper and them departing to go to the uh, Mount of Olives, and then the and then the arrest, the crucifixion, and and on, very quickly. John is. We're going to have a lot of conversation in the Gospel of John between Jesus and the apostles, from the time they sat down to the Passover meal, all the way through. Before they left the room, there's much conversation not recorded in the other Gospels, all the way up to the arrest in the garden, uh, which is even more detailed than the others, and on it goes. Um, so there's a, that's why these Gospels harmonize so well. We have a very complete understanding, a very complete uh, account concerning this timetable. I think that's great. All right. So... Um, I, I feel that the, uh, the timetable issue is very important uh, for a number of reasons. One, I think it helps you remember the, the whole incident, uh, helps you remember the whole uh, account. It makes it important when you can actually talk about when it occurred. Um, and also, w within the Bible, it makes you aware of things that have a time statement in them. And if, if we're not noticing time statements, we wouldn't have any idea where we're at with this. The crucifixion is an anchor for every other event in the Bible, it old is. and new. It is. And just as we know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the letter or the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles is the, like the pivot point between the old and the new. The crucifixion has occurred. The ascension is talked about in, uh, in there and then the beginning of the first gospel sermon. All of that beginning right there, making a real hinge, a real easy understanding. It's important that we know when that occurred because from that, as Alex said, we can go forwards and backwards uh, within the scriptures which is very important. So, uh, with that, that's rather a long introduction, but I think uh, I want to get a, a, across to you the, the timeliness and the, uh, the way that this gospel is put together, uh, how much material is, uh, is recorded within just a, a few, uh, a, a few uh, weeks, actually. Um, two, two months. Uh, two months from the, the chapter, what, 11 to 21? Right. Yeah. Le a little less than two months. Uh, all of this has occurred. The ascension will, will, will occur, and, uh, and, and very, very soon the, uh, the uh, day of Pentecost. So, so the, I think it's incredible that all of this is recorded for us. It also makes it better for us to, to realize when Jesus' ministry started, when John the Baptist's ministry started, uh, all tied to the, the uh, time period in the Bible given for the uh, rule of uh, Tiberius in, uh, in Rome, which is very documented in thousands of places. We know exactly where we're at in, the, in this point of time, which also takes us back all the way back to the prophets of the Old Testament, especially Daniel. Now we know where we're at. Just as Josephus, who was born 
just after the uh, crucifixion, just after he, in his writings, recognized all of this, these time periods himself. And I think that's incredible. Uh, and we forget that those people, they had an understanding of, of the time period better, and it meant more to them than apparently it does to us today. So, But if we're looking at it just a story, a legend or something of that sort, you can see why time periods aren't that important. We're going to be looking at, um, well, I want to read two verses before we start our text in John. Luke 22, verses 14 and 15. Now, this, these are the accounts of what I was talking about. Uh, we're right where we're at here in John 13. And when the hour came, or come, he reclined at meat and the twelve apostles with him. This, of course, is the Last Supper. And he said unto them, With desire I did desire to eat this Passover with you before my suffering. Okay, that's Luke's account. Now about Mark uh, 14, verse 16 and 17. And his disciples went forth and came to the city and found, as he said to them, and they made ready the Passover. Verse 17. And evening having come, he cometh with the twelve. Are you noticing that the evening having come? They didn't come until the evening was upon them. They could have the meal, the Passover meal. It was, it was beyond 6 p.m., in the afternoon, as we call it, but it was the beginning of the Passover day, the day of preparation being before. And there was much preparation by the Jews all over. So I want to give you that because the harmonizing of the Gospels is very important. And by the way, it's, it's accurate. Uh, just because we can't seem to put things together in a perfect chronological order sometimes doesn't mean there's something wrong with the with the uh, with the gospels themselves, what's wrong is that we we haven't figured it out yet. But it, it can be done. All right. This meal did not begin until after 6 p.m. The beginning of the Passover day, the remembrance, as they called it. So they, that is Jesus and the twelve, sat down to eat the Passover meal. Now, I noticed one of my versions of the Bible said they lay down. Uh, so, reclined is another, uh, another Bible has the word. So, they were laying down with their arm, uh, propped up on one arm eating, I guess. That's very uncomfortable for me. Unless you're a, unless you're a teenager, you can eat any, in any configuration, but adults not normally. Um, nonetheless, um, that's where we're at. So I'm going to start with verse 2. And, uh, and well, we read verse 1 and 2. But let me read it again. In uh, John 13. And before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had, hath come, and he may re hath, that he may remove out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, to the end he loved them. Now, this is the apostle writing concerning the attitude of Jesus towards the apostles. We see a real personal touch here, but of course a true, a true one. Because he wanted to be there with them for this last Passover meal. The Passover means something. It's not just a holiday on the calendar. It was their day that, that caused them to be taken out of slavery in Egypt and brought to the promised land and awaiting the Messiah. So now we have the last Passover that's actually legitimate as far as they're concerned. Uh, they, there were many Passovers to follow until the temple was gone, but nonetheless, this is the last one with Jesus. Verse 2, And supper being come, the devil already having put it 
into the heart of Judas of Simon Iscariot, that he may deliver him up. So we have here revealed to us the betrayer, which is Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Um, and we know that about the plot. If, if we read the other read the other gospel um, accounts of this, you'll notice uh, just before the the meal, there will be writing concerning Judas and his work with the chief priests and and him uh, betraying Jesus. And he did these things before he sat down with them at, at this meal. By the way, all right. So we get the context. So let's look at verses uh, thirteen or three through eleven. Now, <clears throat> Jesus, knowing that all things the Father hath given to him into his hands, and that from God he came forth, and unto God he goeth, doth rise from the supper, and doth lay down his garments. And having taken a towel, he girded himself. Afterwards, he putteth water into a basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples and to wipe the towel with the towel which he was being girded. He cometh, therefore, unto Simon Peter. And that one saith to him, Lord, thou dost not wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said to him, That which I do thou hast not known now, but thou shalt know after these things. Peter saith to him, Thou mayest not wash my feet to the age, or ever. You'll never wash my feet, is what Peter is saying. And Jesus answered him, If I may not wash thee, thou hast no part with me. Now, those were heavy words for Peter. Verse 9, Simon Peter saith to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also the hands and the head. And Jesus saith to him, He who hath been bathed hath no need to save to wash his feet, but he is clean altogether. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew him who is delivering him up. Because of this, he said, you are not all clean. So much going on there. Jesus never stops teaching. He never stops showing the example, if you will. It starts off with the idea that Jesus is knowing all things that the Father hath given him. Pretty much says it all. But the confirmation that he knows where he came from, he knows where he's going to. Now this gives Jesus some, some peace. Jesus is not worrying about what happens next. Okay, that, That's what, what we do because we don't have this... Of, Ability. Now, Jesus didn't really, wasn't looking forward to being crucified, but he certainly knew what was happening and why, which brought much joy and, and glory and, um, and joy to him, basically. Now, in verse 6, Peter reveals his character, it seems, each time he speaks. He's, he has... Uh, uh, you know, he wears, you know, everything on his sleeve. He, you know exactly where he's at. Um, and he's a lot of emotion. Um, well-intentioned. It, it is. It's well-intentioned. And he truly, truly loves God's Messiah, and he knows he is. And he's so vocal in it and, and all, and yet... In just a short time, he's going to be put to the test. And we need to realize that Peter, as much as he loved the Lord, he was still a man that was concerned with the day-to-day -day issue. He didn't want to be um, 
injured, he didn't want to die, and yet he told Jesus he would die for him. So we see here, uh, I see a lot of emotion in this. And the thing is, the way that Jesus responds to Peter, you know, he could absolutely tear him up here if he wanted to. But he's not going to do that. He makes it, he makes it so when Peter remembers this, he's going to remember exactly the reason that Jesus did what he was doing. And I think that's going to be a big blessing to him. And, of course, the other men, too, because they're seeing and hearing everything that's occurring. Now, Jesus said the men were clean, that is, spiritually. They all knew that, you know, just to wash their feet didn't mean their hands had been washed. They might have to wash them, too. Um, but they were clean. And in another place, not, not here at this, in this account, but in another place, Jesus says, tells them, you are clean because you are with me. So that's the reason they're clean. They're, but they're not all clean. There is one that, accepting one, and that is Judas, because of what he has decided to do. Um you know, I, I think uh, this whole thing with Judas and the whole account is uh, interesting in light of uh, thinking about the Calvinistic doctrine that we have surrounding us. Um, you know, we, we have to look at this um, because he's not named beforehand uh, and yet of course God knew what he would do but that doesn't mean that he God made him do it they he knew that what he would do under the circumstances and no one has been able to really tell us why Judas did what he did we we just don't know we get a couple clues we know he was very uh conscious about uh, spending money except that he the scripture reveals that he was stealing from the purse so obviously there's a contradiction there right uh, so we, we find possibly the nature of Judas was um, was definitely flawed and as all we know is what he did and um, and we know that Satan has a part in this too because yeah, in, that's in right. verse two he's he's the one who puts uh, it in his heart. Yeah, Satan is prompting him. Now we could probably go here to the study in James and find out that um, we can't blame Satan for what Judas did. Nope. All right. Remember, Jesus was tempted by Satan too, three times. Uh, with things, uh, I think, probably a whole lot more uh, weightier and, and, and uh, needful than what Judas was dealing with here. And yet, you know, Jesus was offered the, to be the grand uh, king of all that was. <laughs> so, you know, many people think that Judas had a political motive and he is all he really wanted was Jesus to be raised up to where he should be, and this was forcing his hand, you know, things of that sort. But it's all supposition. We don't really know the mind of Judas. We only know his actions. Well, we do know this about Judas's mind. Uh, he had a mind of his own, That's you right. know, just like everyone does. But mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that we know about it is that he clearly was not aligned, you know, with Christ. And, and that, <clears throat> we don't know if it was always that way or, or if things, if things uh, turned into that over the course of time when the, when the 12, I mean, he was one of the 12. That's, yeah. you know, they, he had experienced and seen a lot. Everything that all the other ones had seen, or most of it. I think this very, very hard to this process Jews. Yeah, it is. We don't know. It doesn't tell us, so we can't know. We don't know that it was this a gradual thing. 
I, I think that he was being, I think he maybe was trying to be proactive. It looked like Jesus was kind of slowing it down here, <laughs> even though he went into the, the mouth of the lion all the time, right? Returning to Jerusalem was near madness to most people. They, he knew what was waiting for him there, and everyone knew that they were going to arrest him, and, and uh, they were even looking for Lazarus to kill him yeah. because of what had happened. So this is a very highly charged emotional time, all right? And all this is happening within that, what we call Passion Week, right? These things are occurring. All right. Well, let's read on, or we're going to find the, the issue here, verses 12 through 17. When, therefore, he washed their feet, he took his garments, having reclined at meat. In other words, he redressed himself and reclined at meat at the meal again. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me the teacher. By the way, I love the fact that uh, Young put the, the uh, definite article in here the way the scripture has it. You call me th the teacher, the teacher, and the Lord. And you say, well, for I am. If then I did wash your feet, the Lord and the teacher, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For an example I gave to you that, according as I did to you, you also may do. Verily, verily, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his Lord, nor an apostle greater than he who sent him. If these things you know, if, let me read that again. If these things you have known, happy are you if you may do them. Jesus explains the whole, the whole situation, doesn't he? Clears it all up. And I like how the humility part is first, but, but at the end of it is a very strong teaching about who Jesus is and the importance of who he is and the importance of um, uh, the, the master and the servant. And I, I think that's very important for us to recognize. He, Jesus said, you call me the teacher and the Lord and you say, well, for I am. So it's a true statement. It's a true statement. But it's not a true statement today. The audience he had there, save one, well, I'm not even sure that Judas didn't believe that he might be Messiah, but he was trying to help him out a little. I don't see how that, that follows. But um, these things are true. He is the teacher. Why? Because the things that Jesus taught came from the throne of God. That is why he is the original teacher. The teacher meaning all things that do not line up with what I have said are not going to be, they're going to either be false or not very important. And the Lord, of course, the Lord meaning the, is, is the word master, owner, despot, having the power of life and death, Jesus was, as God created the earth through his Son, through the Word, as it says in John chapter 1. If then I did wash your feet, obviously to follow, if, if the, the Lord and the teacher washed the feet of the apostles, could they not do the same thing to each other? And yet, um, there was a little strife between these men. There was some strife. Uh, 
and, but th- there again, well, what do we call it? This human nature? Well, I don't think so. Uh, they're responsible. Jesus is saying, you are now responsible to, to love each other as I have loved you. And he's going to give that command later on. The lesson is clear. But my question is, has it been followed in the way that the Lord instructed it to be? You know, uh, we can read in the scriptures uh, where Peter and Paul had a disagreement one time. Um because of the actions of Peter and Paul criticized him and and I think did something that was necessary to be done. So it's not that that's not the, a little disagreement. Uh, a clarification is not what's being spoken of here. We're talking about the idea of actually um, loving one another the way that Christ loved them, and that is a lot more than just a difference of opinion. Um, in verse 15 Jesus says that that what he did the washing of their feet was for an example that the apostles might do it and also to teach the assemblies of of Christ to do likewise now I'm going to make a comment here Uh, I I know of a a group of um, uh, of uh, Believers known as the Church of God of Anderson, Indiana. Now they practice foot washing, as they call it, holding the same level of importance to of foot washing to being immersed for baptism and taking the communion. Um, so it's it's a it's an ordinance of the of the church in their understanding. Now. I think maybe they missed the point just a little. Because they're actually washing feet. Take off your shoes and socks, okay? But that wasn't that wasn't the point uh here that Jesus was making. This is this is why we have such trouble in in the scriptures. That's why we have the idea of future coming of Christ because of the people are not understanding the language of the Bible. Washing feet is not going to really help anyone, uh, and I'm because you suppose anyone's ever washed someone else's feet in the church in Anderson, in Anderson, Indiana, and really didn't like them anyway. I think maybe so. Okay. I wonder. I wonder how many asked to wash it. You know, their hands and their head too. <laughs> yeah. Because it's the same same thought. You know, initial thought yeah. line that Peter had. Yeah, it is. That's why this this is it's kind of a deep subject, isn't it? Uh, we got to really think about it. Uh, and they are they they become livid if anything is said about this foot washing because they will say Jesus commanded it. All right. Well. I think the action, uh, what Jesus commanded was the the idea of he being the Lord of glory would wash their feet. Now, can they treat each other in the same way? The master's not too good to be right to be kind and 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 that's it. That's it. That's the lesson, it's isn't it? It's about the, the master and the servant. Jesus even made a point of the apostles, didn't he? The apostles are not greater than the one who sent them. Who sent the apostles? Acts chapter 1. Jesus of Nazareth sent them out. He said so. I send you. So, to me, that's the lesson. That is the lesson and the idea of um, uh, treating people or loving people the way that Christ loved the church. Drexler had a, uh, I remember years ago he had thoughts on, on this, and he saw this and, and explained this as a way of uh, Jesus 
Jesus getting down to meet the needs of the people. And that's what he was passing on here to, to the disciples and, and on through the apostles and to the assemblies. Meet the needs of the people. It's not below you. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a great way to look at it. it. It puts you in the right attitude, doesn't it, of actually being useful to the brethren and those that have a need. By the way, in the days of Jesus and the apostles, they needed their feet washed. I mean, that's just a physical situation. You walk around without any shoes and socks, and you'll know what I'm talking about in short order. Uh, now, they, they, they did wear sandals. Um, and, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. But this is, this is the idea. Uh, and I, I think it's a great lesson uh, that John has here in this passage. The servant is not greater than his Lord, which is master, nor the apostle greater than the one who sent him forth. And then, lastly, it says, Happy are you, which is the, the Greek word for content and settled, if you may do them. See, this will bring you a great um, satisfaction, a contentment, a settled place. Um, well, can you imagine the world, how it would be if everyone followed the instructions of Jesus here? If everyone uh, would follow the, the command of Jesus, which comes up here later, I think, in this chapter. Um, or shortly at least, that I leave you another commandment to, lo to uh, uh, as I have loved you, love one another. <clears throat> Isn't that the solution? Uh, you know, I, I, I've seen a, a couple of uh, uh, beauty pageants, and then the winner always says, uh, you know, world peace. Well, world peace will never happen without following the instructions of the master. That'll bring world peace. We won't have any conflict in that way. Now, elitism will never bring world peace. It'll, it'll, it'll keep the escalation climbing. Humility, on the other hand, humility might. Yeah. You know, and, and it's that people have different personalities. Uh, and we just have to recognize that. And... I don't think it's right to stifle an energetic person or to criticize one that is always mellow, slow moving, but doing the thing. You know, what difference does it make? You know, um, you know, uh, it, and the other thing, speaking of David Draxler, the other thing he did was that was this study that we did on words that we initially take as. Uh, Maybe it's a sign of weakness or or uh, uh, fra frailty. Words like meek, mm -hmm. words like repent. Those those uh, those words indicate a person's willingness to change and gain gain in strength and knowledge, and not the other way around. Yeah. You know, repent is to get in step, to to get you know in rhythm. Yeah. So uh, you're you're right, and we're all. This is what we're doing here in this study, and every study, hopefully, is we're finding out the intent of the speaker, the intent of of what the writer is trying to say, and what the people actually are hearing. Um, if we don't know that, we're we're rather out of the loop. So Jesus is saying, if you do these things, that is the works. And these are works. Um, these are works that we do. They may be physical. They may be uh, conversational. Um, they may be prayerful. Whatever they are, though, they must not ever violate the principle that is here. That we are never, ever too learned too powerful or too wealthy or anything to do something for someone who is less than ourselves. And, you know, uh, 
we find people in the world today that have no form of faith, and yet they follow these principles themselves. They really are selfless people. They are really are philanthropists, you know, the, the type of person that used, used to be the highest form of love was that you would give to someone that you don't have to give to. Well, that's been replaced by agape love, the love that God has shown the world, that Christ has shown the world, that Jesus has, has shown and witnessed to the apostles here. Um, so now that, that is a higher form because it has another, it has another category. Um, agape love is a love that not only uh, causes one to to submit or die for another, but it also will cause them to correct the other person because they are going down a path that's going to lead to death or separation from God. That's also part of agape love. And that's the part, of course, not found in the other. Uh, you know... Um, uh, when it comes to, when a lot of folks think that unless you compromise, you're truly not loving. Compromising is not, not the answer. Saying that something that has been done wrong isn't that bad or just re- removing it or don't do it again um, is, is, is not the answer. The answer is to, to show clearly how to avoid doing that. And make it clear that it should never be done again. That's what agape love brings. But we're not born knowing agape love. Uh, a lot of think, people think you are, but I'll tell you, it has to be learned. And we learn it from who? Apparently Jesus was teaching this to the apostles. They were good men. We learn agape love from God and we're not going to do that until we know him and until we understand, until we have some background to actually do these things. That's a big part of verse 17 here is doing them, but the other half of that is knowing. You can't do right. it if you don't know what you're doing. That's right. That That's exactly it. Um, you know, he's answering the whole thing for him. He's just logically laying it out for him. And he's not commanding them. He's just telling them, you're going to be happy and content and satisfied, but you really have to do it. It's not going to happen otherwise. we got a little time to read some of the scripture. We're not going to be able to get into it the way our lesson is laid out here. But let's just read on and... Uh, and uh, in, until uh, we run out of time. Not concerning you all do I speak. Now, once again, Jesus is making a clear distinction here between those that are truly clean and the one that isn't. And we're going to find out as one here. Not concerning you all do I speak. I have known whom I chose for myself. By the way, Jesus says that he chose the apostles and he also thanks God for giving them to him. I, I think all of this that needs to be looked at very closely. All right? But that the writing, that is the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, may be fulfilled. He who is eating the bread with me did lift up against me his heel. Now here we have an issue of uh, being a singular issue. Apparently it's one of the men. From this time, I tell you, before it's coming to pass, that when it may come to pass, you may believe that I am he. You know, Jesus says this many times in a few different ways. He tells him something and says, I'm doing this so when this comes to pass, or this occurs, you're going to remember that I told you this. Which will what? Build their faith, of course, and that's a necessity for us. Verily, verily, I say to you, he who is receiving whomsoever I may send 
doth receive me, and he who is receiving me doth receive him who sent me. You know, as I was studying this, I thought, why did Jesus put this, say these words right in the middle of this very um, emotionally packed situation that's before them? He's about to show them who it is. And he brings this, this idea in. Verily, verily. So, I, I think it's incredible. And we, you know what you do? You read this and you read it again and again. And then you see how this fits. Then you see the attitude of Jesus here coming through. He's still teaching them. He's still showing them. It all has to do with who he is and the Father in heaven. And the, as people, we need to understand we have a grave responsibility when we, when we come to how is it we're going to understand Jesus of Nazareth and the God of heaven. And what are our feelings about it? What do we know? What must we, how must we react to it? very important. We're, I'm going to pause right there, and we'll pick it up in verse 21, because, of course, this uh, goes into a little different mode, and we, we don't want to miss anything here. So we'll pick it up in verse 21, when Jesus is going to show them uh, the issue at hand is the betrayer, and all the things that will follow. So I hope that you'll join us again um, next Lord's Day, or whenever you can listen to this program, <clears throat> and uh, study with us in John chapter 13, and uh, what is known as the, the Last Supper. Uh, it's a whole lot more than just the Last Supper in a lot of ways. Uh, but... Nonetheless, the terminology is pretty accurate. So we pray that uh, you will be uh, found useful to the Lord in this coming week. We pray that, uh, and we all pray that we will be useful to him in his glorious kingdom. And we pray you be with us next week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.